Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lever Ball Show. And on this episode, I am joined by Tim Quidadamo. And Tim actually has done a lot in the world of sports broadcasting, uh, most recently in the uh, Mariners system and also Red Sox system in various roles from play-by-play to producing. Um, Definitely well-traveled in the world of sports, but he actually is starting a new job in the world of news. And actually, the official announcement has not been made yet, so we cannot share where his new job in news is. But, you know, Tim, I'll start asking you this. You know, what prompted the uh, switch from, you know, working with different MLB organizations to wanting to go into news? Yeah, well, it it started as a lot of things do with a a relationship. Uh, So my girlfriend moved up to an area in Oregon uh, that doesn't have a lot of sports teams. They do have a couple um, within about an hour, but I'd been moving and just relocating or staying around Massachusetts at the beginning of my career, really, but then moved out west for a job in sports uh, and figured that I've kind of been pretty well-versed in sports broadcasting, especially at the minor league level. So I figured, why not try to see if I can expand my career in broadcasting a little bit more, jump out of sports into a studio news gig, do some reporting, some anchoring. So that's the plan uh, at my new employer right now. And it's been a couple of weeks so far, and I've been really enjoying it. So excited to kind of challenge myself a little bit more. So going from uh, sports broadcasting to potentially being the next Ron Burgundy, that's quite, that's quite <laughs> a shift. But, um, you know, as far as your background goes, you, know, you mentioned you spent a lot of time in Massachusetts. Um, you actually went to school at, uh, at Emerson. And I remember hearing that you played baseball there, although I used to play baseball at Curry College. Did you guys ever play them in out-of-conference matchups? Oh, I can't really remember, which is probably a good thing. Because in four years at Emerson Baseball, we won 25 games. We lost 100, my class. Uh, so a lot of that kind of goes by the wayside. But Curry sounds very familiar. I think we might have played Curry College maybe once or twice over four years. Well, yeah. I mean, when I was playing at Curry, we did a lot of losing as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was usually routine, show up, lose. Coaches yell at us about how much we suck, go home, repeat the next day. So, yep. I mean, yeah, it's humbling. It's humbling. But, um, but yeah, and I don't think – I don't know. Curry, it's funny because Curry was was D3, as was Emerson. There was actually one kid uh, from Curry. He actually played right after I finished my career there who's in AAA for the Mets now. But they're oh, not cool. really a powerhouse or – you know, factory for MLB prospects. This kid was very unusual, but I guess the majority of people at D3 schools, if they want to stay in sports, go the, you know, broadcasting route uh, rather than playing. But, um, you know, what was it, you know, how, how did you initially get into specifically professional baseball coming out of Emerson? I mean, do a lot of Emerson grads specifically go into sports or I, obviously I know you had the background playing, but, you know, how did you kind of transition from, you know, being in the broadcasting program at Emerson and playing baseball to then working with professional baseball teams? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, at Emerson College, when I was a junior, I believe they launched a uh, sports communication major. So 
I was a little bit too far gone to graduate with a sports communications degree. Uh, so I was still on the visual and media arts, kind of just live in studio TV broadcasting was my my major, what my piece of paper says. Um, but the sports communication degree ended up launching, uh, and it was just a minor before. But one of the sports com professors was Dr. Charles Steinberg, who has had over 40 years of experience in Major League Baseball with the Orioles, the uh, Padres, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. Uh, and when he was teaching at Emerson while I was there, uh, he was the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, a AAA affiliate of Boston at the time before they moved to Worcester, Massachusetts uh, about two or three years ago. Um, so took a couple of sports comm classes, figured it would be a great minor that plus journalism as a double minor with my live and studio TV stuff could kind of give me a, a wide enough scope going into broadcasting and in any sense that I'd find a job and then kind of just get my foot in the door. Um, and then through the sports comm classes, I took two with Dr. Steinberg. Uh, it was a lot of kind of real life experience where he was very transparent with any of the political issues or ballpark operations issues or just what the day to day was like working for a minor league baseball team. Um, so it felt like I was getting real world experience in this college class, which was really cool. And then you couple that with it's the AAA affiliate of the team. I grew up loving my whole life, the Boston Red Sox. I went to McCoy Stadium as a kid, being from Worcester, just about 45, 50 minutes away from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So working with Charles on essentially what we could do to enhance the fan experience at McCoy Stadium, I thought it was a really cool way to kind of have a career. Um, so from that class, stumbled into an internship, stumbled into a part-time seasonal job, stumbled into a full-time job. Um, and then ended up spending the first about five years of of my career, four or five years uh, with the AAA affiliate of the Red Sox between Pawtucket and Worcester, doing a bunch of different jobs, too. Well, and, you know, you mentioned you, you're from Worcester. So how excited were you when they made the move for Pawtucket and became the Woo Sox? And, you know, you get to not only work with the Red Sox organization, but do it in your hometown. Yeah, that was uh, obviously an experience I'll never forget. Um, I'm extremely thankful to have been with the team during that because I was just stoked. It was so great. The Worcester, the like running joke is it's always been like the little brother of Boston where everyone just makes fun of Worcester and even people from Worcester when I was growing up, no one really had like any good things to say about it. And now you're starting to see a lot of pride and uh, a lot of tourism coming into the city. And it's not just because of the Woo Sox either. There's so many incredible restaurants. The people are fantastic. They're hilarious. They can be dry. They can be curt. But in a way, that's always somehow welcoming. Um, some of my favorite bars, obviously, in my hometown, too, coming back from colleges, seeing old friends. But it's such a unique and kind of blue-collar city, but still has some of the size where it's the second biggest in New England behind Boston. Um, it was it was just really cool to kind of see this, what had been an abandoned parking lot my whole life, sprout up into, I can 
still safely say the most beautiful minor league ballpark easily in the country. Um, and just to, to be a part of that and to be a part of the first couple of seasons there and have, you know, my name on a plaque outside of the, the main gate behind home plate is something I never could have dreamt of. So just to be a part of that and to walk around the ballpark the first couple of years, seeing old teammates and teachers, coaches, friends, parents, whoever it might be. And just having, even if it's quick interactions, because working in sports obviously goes really quickly. So you might not have time to talk when you're on the clock, but even just seeing them saying hi, seeing catching up with some old friends was, was unbelievable. Oh yeah. And I mean, I remember it's funny cause I actually, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, I'm living in Boston now, but I did, when I got out of college, I lived in Boston for three years and then I actually lived in Worcester for three and a half years. And oh, no um, yeah, now I'm back in Boston. So I've experienced both, but I remember I first moved to Worcester right when they announced that, uh, the Paw Sox were, were going to be moving there and yep. people were so excited about, you know, what it would do for the city. And they're talking about how, you know, they're going to open more bars and restaurants near the ballpark because it would bring in so much business. It was. And in general, they were just kind of talking about Worcester growing and becoming a more popular place that was kind of slowed down somewhat by COVID. Um, yeah. Some of the, you know, explosive growth. Um, but even with COVID, I think, the Woo Sox were great for, for, you know, Worcester as a community. Um, and I've, I've gotten to do some stuff in the past. You're probably familiar with the Massachusetts Pirates of the indoor football yep. league playing at the DCU center. I was their sideline reporter and Worcester has some pretty passionate sports fans. So Definitely. it seems like, and I mean, you know, Worcester better than I do, you know, you grew up there. It seems like a, a good place to have another team. It's definitely a huge sports town. Uh, I remember back in the day, the Worcester Ice Cats were, I don't know if they were ECHL or AHL, uh, but a minor league hockey team called the Worcester Ice Cats. And that was the place to be. Every elementary school, like the front office did such an amazing job getting all the schools out for some field trips and games. And I remember it was almost like there were two fights every period too. So maybe not the best role models for these Worcester public school kids coming up, just watching some minor league hockey where guys are throwing fisticuffs as much as they're scoring goals. Uh, but it was a great time and it was just great to be out in the community at a young age too, but very passionate fans of all sports. And I've, I'm biased, obviously I played baseball throughout college to stop playing football when I was a sophomore in, in high school. Um, but I think Worcester's always been a baseball town. And a lot of the minor league hockey teams, which the Worcester Railers are still there. They're an affiliate um, of the New York Islanders. But Worcester is just so close to Boston that the Boston sports fandom and the big four, and you're starting to see with the New England revolution now, but mostly baseball, hockey, basketball, and football is just so prevalent in Worcester that having the AAA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox moved to Worcester was just a powerhouse of a minor league sports team where I don't really think there's uh, too much of a, of a comparable model up in the Northeast too of a minor league team having as much success as they do because they're so close to their major league team. I think a lot of major league teams might think that a minor league team so close wouldn't draw fans because the major league team is right there. Um, but there is just such a, 
starvation or there was a starvation and a thirst for professional baseball related to the Boston Red Sox in Worcester. And I think it was just naturally such a perfect fit too. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, especially you talked about maybe some people were concerned that it wouldn't work having a minor league team so close to the major league team. I think the fact that the reason it worked was because it was the AAA team. And so, you know, someone who lives, you know, maybe in like Natick, like halfway in between, you know, Worcester and Boston, like they might go to Red Sox games, but they want to watch AAA because some of those guys are going to be playing on the Red Sox. I think, I, I think if they had a Red Sox single A team in Worcester, it wouldn't work. Your single A team needs to be in the middle of nowhere where, you know, <laughs> and so, and so, you know, I think the fact that it was a triple A team, I think it's also more convenient for the players, especially, you know, there are plenty of guys who are like up and down from triple A and the majors throughout the season to, you know, mm-hmm. not have to move to the middle of nowhere when you get sent down, like you can stay in the same apartment when you're on, you know, Worcester versus in the big leagues. Right. Uh, and it, that was so important too, with COVID running rampant where, uh, big league teams were allowed to bring kind of a COVID reserved list. It was called. So they had three guys, mostly from AAA rosters travel on road trips with the teams. So instead of uh, Pawtucket, it is extremely close to, to um, Boston, but say like the, the Rays, for example, so Tampa Bay, their big league team, say they're going on a West coast trip to Oakland and they need three guys from their AAA team, which is in, Durham. So they're coming from the Carolinas out to Oakland, or are they stopping in Tampa Bay first and getting tested? And it's just a travel nightmare. And obviously with COVID, you're trying to limit travel for people as much as possible. Um, and I know he was recently let go by the Boston Red Sox, but Heim Bloom, when Polar Park kind of sprung up, um, because he was hired during COVID. So he didn't have a season at McCoy Stadium in Pawtucket. And he was used to having his AAA team in Durham, his big league team in Tampa Bay, his AA team, I think Montgomery, Alabama, the Biscuits. I might be wrong with that, but I think that's a AA for the Tampa Bay Rays. But when Bloom was hired by the Red Sox, he said, this is great. I can go into the office in the morning in Boston. I can make a day trip to the AAA affiliate. I could even make a day trip to the AA affiliate up in Portland if he wanted to. And he could drive where he was just flying all the time before that. Um, So I think having kind of everything in that vicinity, it really lends itself to that kind of New England pride that a lot of Boston sports teams have or Boston sports fans have, I should say. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, this is a different sport, but that's part of you talk about like the New England pride. That's why it's smart that the Patriots call themselves the New England Patriots because like the Red Sox have fans you know in Worcester Portland Maine where they have affiliates who also follow the big league club and I mean people all over yeah all over New England support you know the Red Sox and the the Bruins so for the Patriots I think they were smart calling themselves the you know New England Patriots I mean it's easier also because you know the Patriots play in Foxborough so right a Foxborough Patriots wouldn't be that cool of a name. No offense to, you know, anyone in Foxborough. But, you know, if if they actually played in, like, if Gillette were in Boston, I feel like they'd be more tempted to call it the, uh, you know, the Boston Patriots. Right. Um, but, 
I mean, the, the Massachusetts Pirates kind of copied that a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't call themselves the New England Pirates, but they have the entire state in their name because they want to attract fans from all over Massachusetts. But just yeah, but you, you talk about like the New England pride in sports. I mean, it's definitely there. It's intense. It's you could argue it's probably the best fan base in sports nationwide. If you think mm-hmm. about how intense people are about all of the teams um, in the area. But, um, you know, I guess also uh, kind of transitioning, we've talked obviously about your time in sports, although also um, after working with the, the Woo Sox, you were actually, if I remember correctly, you were on air um, in mm. the Mariner system. You know, h- how did you decide to go from, you know, being a producer with in the Red Sox system to going back on air and, and calling some games? Yeah. So, Again, COVID, the last couple of years, it's been everywhere. Uh, when I was in Worcester, one of our broadcasters uh, came down with COVID before a 12-game homestand, and it left a seat open on the radio, which I had done some play-by-play broadcasting, not for baseball in college because I was playing, but for uh, a lot of basketball games. And then once I graduated, I went back and did Emerson College baseball because there wasn't a broadcaster for their live streams. Um, so I did that a couple of times just to try to get something on tape. Uh, and then anytime a seat would be open in Worcester, I'd be the first to say, Hey, let me jump in and do that. Um, so ended up, uh, calling what was the last game in Paw Sox history on a TV broadcast with Jim Kane, who was my college teammate at Emerson, incredible broadcaster, incredible person. Um, he got me into broadcasting. We called the last game in Pawtucket because it was only being broadcast in Worcester on television. It was a radio broadcast around the Providence area. Um, and then after a COVID year, uh, there McCoy was the alternate training site during COVID. And we would live stream the simulated games on Facebook. So I would call some of those too. Then when we moved to Worcester, the operation kind of blew up where we were doing a TV broadcast and a radio broadcast separate for all 75 home games. Um, And through a lot of those too, we had sideline reporters. Uh, So incredibly talented broadcast crew. Already gave Jim a shout out. I might as well shout out everyone else. Uh, Josh Maurer was with us in 2021, the first year in Worcester. He's now a play-by-play broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, And Jay Burnham, Mike Antonellis have been doing it forever. They're fantastic. Then Tyler Murray joined us in 2022 uh, and a guy who started as a broadcast intern in 2021, Cooper Boardman, who's now doing some uh, pre and post game Red Sox uh, radio on WEEI. Um, He started as a sideline reporter in Worcester. And then Mike Antonellis and Jay Burnham, they had college uh, full-time jobs. So when they couldn't make it to a game, Cooper would jump on the radio and it left a spot open on the sidelines. So I said, Hey, let me give that a shot. So I would do a lot of sideline reporting in 2021. Uh, Didn't make it into the radio booth in 21. Uh, And then going into 2022, we kind of had that blueprint of anytime there's a seat open, Cooper will jump up there. TQ will jump down and do some sideline reporting. Uh, But then there came a day where there were a couple seats open and someone went out with COVID. So who was going to fill in on the radio? And after uh, Bill Wanless, who has an unbelievable track record of hiring major league talent, made a couple of calls and 
people either didn't answer or they had prior obligations. He said, Hey, like you're, you're going to get a shot. There's a seat open and we play in 12 hours. So can you be ready for it? And the answer was no, but what came out of my mouth was absolutely bill. I'll be ready for it. Um, and then luckily ended up thinking I did a pretty good job. So I ended up being the first person he'd call anytime there was a, a seat open and called about 19, 20 games with Cooper mostly, which was a ton of fun. Um, but called some games with all of the guys in the broadcast booth in Worcester. Uh, and then after that, I figured, hey, I've done the control room work. I've done the producing, directing, the in-ballpark entertainment, done a little bit of everything in the control room, feel comfortable. Let's see if I can kind of hone a new skill that I'm really enjoying doing play-by-play. So a uh, job was open uh, with the Modesto Nuts as their director of marketing. So it was a full-time job with benefits, which is huge when you turn 26, 27. That's something you're looking for in jobs, obviously. Uh, not covered by your parents anymore. But um, yeah, and then the stars kind of just aligned. There was something telling me, go check out this director of marketing gig and it's the play-by-play broadcaster for all 66 of the nuts home games so you get to triple the amount of time that you had on air and Worcester and you get to learn some new skills on the marketing side too which I wasn't really as privy to um as I ended up being after one season in Modesto you know it sounds like you're not afraid to expand your skill set um, you know, you know, going from producing to on air to marketing. I mean, because I the reason I bring that up, like when I first got out of college, I was really confident in my on air abilities, but mm. I didn't really want to try anything else out of fear of shitting the bed. And what's <laughs> like, but like what's actually helped me in you know, as I've gotten older is you know, doing stuff, you know, outs, you know, outside of my comfort zone. And I'm that way now, but when I first got out of college, I wasn't as comfortable going outside my comfort zone. It sounds like you're very comfortable, you know, learning new stuff. It it same as you, Lev, it was a practiced skill. To, to do that. And it's a lot of verbal affirmation for me too, where I was always the kind of person I didn't want to do something unless I knew I was going to do it damn well. So I wouldn't even put myself out there for whatever it might be, whether it was on air to start, I, because I didn't start broadcasting baseball until a couple years after I graduated. I didn't even try softball when I was in college. I was kind of just broadcasting basketball because I thought it was fun. Um, and I was doing it with my buddies, uh, and then kind of had like initial fear of just like, what if I do put myself out there and people don't like it? So I, that kept me from doing it. And then, uh, I kind of got this mindset of like, don't do something unless you're going to be good at it. And then as I grew older, you learn more and you see other people doing things and you go, wait a minute, let, let me let myself be bad at something because that's the only way I'm going to get better is to do it and suck at it and then keep doing it even though I suck at it. And then eventually we'll get a little bit better and just trying to get 1% better every day. And then let's see where that takes me essentially. So it's, it definitely wasn't something that came naturally to me. Um, I think a lack of shame generally does come naturally to me. I think my older brothers will tell you that too. 
uh, where you get made fun of and beat up so much as a kid with two older brothers just a couple of years apart from you uh, that it kind of eradicates any any sort of shame where you're just saying or trying to do anything for a laugh or to get a rise out of people. Luckily, I've grown out of trying to get a rise out of people, but I still love trying to get a laugh out of anybody. Um, and there's just kind of an aloofness that I think comes from that, that has served me well to this point. I think it's still serving me well for now, but we'll see if the tides turn on that one with some more age. I am starting to get a little gray. So I think kind of pleading ignorance and and being youthful <laughs> doesn't really work too well. But um, yeah, so I, I had to teach myself for sure to to try to just try new things and be okay with being bad at it first. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, with everything you've done, I mean, do you have a specific kind of vision of where you see things going in your career? Or is it more kind of just keeping an open mind um, about, you know, what's to come further down the road? I think it's definitely keeping an open mind um, of what's further down the road where I, every time I see a new opportunity or a new door opens, I like poking my head through and kind of checking out, seeing what's, what's down that path. Um, And I think it's, I'm just trying to open as many doors and windows as possible right now. And then dip my toe into new experiences and new avenues. Uh, This new job in the news industry I've been having a lot of fun with obviously just the first couple of weeks it's a new area so so I'm getting used to some of the stories and some of the trends that happen up in this region especially being from the northeast and now being uh out in Oregon is very different even if you're just talking about terrain it's beautiful out here luckily similar weather uh because I do love myself a nice crisp fall um but yeah, I'm just trying to open up as many as many doors and avenues as possible. And who knows, maybe I end up back in the sports world years down the line um, where I've always said, too, that I think like Greg Amsinger has the coolest job in the world, sitting in a studio, running through every major league game with a bunch of Hall of Famers, talking about whatever major stories are going on in MLB that night, I think is is awesome. And I guess that kind of was probably in the back of my mind too when this news gig came up thinking, yeah, I haven't read from a teleprompter since my sophomore year at Emerson. So we're nearing not a decade, I guess, but clo- probably closer to a decade than four or five years at this point. Um, but figured let's do a, a little sit down studio thing. I'm getting more producing experience at this news station too, a lot more writing experience. So Figured that would all look good on a resume on top of all the sports stuff that I've already done. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question about it. Um, and yeah, that's great that um, you're continuing to uh, expand in your uh, secret job that we can't announce on the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> you know, before before we wrap things up, though, you know, if anyone wants to keep up with uh, your work, uh, you know, where can they find you on uh, social media? Yeah, follow me on any and all social media at tquitty, T-Q-U-I-T-Y. I post sparingly right now, I'll be honest. I'm trying to get better at it. And I think with a job outside of the sports world, I might have a little more free time to to have some more life experiences that I'll want to share and uh, some of the the work too, for sure. Perfect, perfect. 
All right. Well, you know, once again, everyone definitely uh, check out uh, Tim on social media and also his uh, working news as well. Um, but once again, everyone, you have been listening to the Lever Ball Show. Thanks for tuning in.